Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. As, as Josh mentioned, my name's Richard Black. I head up an organisation called Strength to Strength, which on the surface, we are a, a counselling and a training organisation. But our heartbeat has always been to help people succeed with life, to succeed with this life that Jesus said he came to bring us, but a life that many people certainly haven't found very easy and certainly not abundant at times. So we work with people, we work with leaders to keep the leader focused on their primary calling and to remain resilient for the long haul so that they can keep on leading with passion and enthusiasm. We also work with pastoral care workers to upskill them in the area of pastoral care and pastoral counseling so that they can be more effective in helping the people that they're looking after. And in all that we do, I mean, really, that the purpose behind what we're doing is that we want to see people break through and break free into all that they have been created to be and to do all that they have been called to do. And I've got to say, I love what I do. Uh, this is so much a part of the joy in my heart that, that, that as that, you can understand why it, it's such a joy to take my place within this series that you're looking at on Keep Your Love On, to be able to, to play my part and add to this in some way. I mean, this just warms my heart because we know, don't we, that, that relationships are foundational to who we are as humans. I mean, relationships are just core to who we are. That God has wired us, He's created us to be relational creatures. We're in families, we're friends, we've got colleagues, we've got, we're a part of organizations, we're a part of the church, which is a relational entity. And in many ways, because of that, we, we just can't get away from relationships although there are probably a few that you wouldn't mind getting away from. <laughs> and so as that, the, our ability to navigate these relationships are going to determine how healthy, how happy, how successful we are with all that God has made us for. And more specifically in this, it's our ability to navigate conflict that is going to determine how healthy, how happy, how successful we are in relating well and being able to get on with all that God has called us to do and to get on with all the people that he's called us to do it with. You with me? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a look at, at what does the Bible teach us? What does the Bible tell us about how we navigate relationships well and, and, and how we can resolve them well? Because we all know how to resolve conflict badly, don't we? And we can do that on a daily basis. But to resolve it well, well, that just takes a whole different skill level. So I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that speaks to us about this, and in many ways, seemingly has it all. It's got relationships, it's got conflict, it's got misunderstanding, it's got overreactions, it's got healthy responses, it's got reconciliation and restitution, which isn't bad for a passage of Scripture, is it? 
So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're also going to put it up here on the screen. I'm going to take you to Numbers 32. Now, just a bit of a background to this passage. This is the point in Israel's history where they have been set free from Egypt. They have wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And now, now they're on the banks of the Jordan River. Now they're poised to claim this land that has been promised to them for over 500 years. They're almost there. They're on the banks of the Jordan. They're now planning and strategizing as to what their next move is. And at that point, we pick up our story where two tribes come to Moses and they make a request. And so what we read, starting at verse 1, the Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land of Jazir and Gilead was suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and the leaders of the community, and they said, The land on the east side of the Jordan, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. So if we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage Israel from going over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Ganesh Bareh over to spy into the land. As they went up to the valley of Eshgol, they viewed the land and they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused against them and the, Lord anger, the Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore an oath because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. Not one of the men, 20 years old or more, who came up out of Egypt will see the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one, well, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, and, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the desert 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight were gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all the people in the desert and you will be the cause of their destruction. Then they moved closer to Moses and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive our inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, well, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out all of his enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return here and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel 
and this land will be your possession before the Lord. I mean, isn't that an absolutely fabulous passage? It's just got its all. It's got, it, it's got the relationship, it's got the conflict, it's got the overreaction, and it's got the reconciliation and restitution. This is a brilliant passage. But let's just slow it down, and let's just pull it apart a bit to see what we can hear God saying to us from this passage. You see, what we see here is that two tribes come to Moses and they make a request. And how does Moses respond to their request? He responds in a way that we would describe, biblically speaking, as he has a hissy fit. He has an absolute core meltdown, doesn't he? I mean, he tears strips off them for daring to make such an impertinent request. But you see, here's the thing. Was there actually anything wrong with their request? No. But was there anything wrong with Moses' interpretation, Moses' understanding of their request? Oh, yes, there was. You see, these two tribes come to Moses and they make a request. Now, what happens for Moses is Moses has a flashback. Moses thinks, we've been here before. I've been in this place before. We were here 40 years earlier. You know, there was a time when we came up out of Egypt. God had delivered us from Egypt. We were on the banks of the Jordan River. We were about to to step in and claim this promised land. And I sent 12 spies in to spy out the land, to, to work out you know, what do we need to be aware of? What do we need to be prepared for? What what have we got to look forward to? But 10 of them come back and they're all demoralized, dismayed, and they go, (laughs) we've seen the inhabitants of this land. I mean, they're huge. They're giants. We're all going to get slaughtered. We're all going to die. Except, of course, Joshua and Caleb, who are like, what are you on about? God is on our side. We are going to do this. But as you know, bad news travels fast. It certainly travels faster than news Briscoe's is having a sale. (laughs) And soon the whole nation is infected with this discouragement. And now everyone is wailing and complaining. They're saying the only reason God brought us out of Egypt was to have us die in this other place. And because our God isn't a good God, He's not a loving God, we can't trust this God. And with that, they now head back into the desert for another 40 years. See, I want you to imagine this from Moses' point of view. The man is 80 years old when he leads Israel out of Egypt. And that that wasn't easy in and of itself. I mean, he has to face Pharaoh. He has to be a part of the the 10 plagues on Egypt and, and experience the consequence of that. They finally get released from Egypt. They've headed towards the Red Sea only to discover that Pharaoh's army is pursuing them and he's come to enslave them or slaughter them. But God makes a way. They go through dry ground on the Red Sea. God scoops up all of the the. Pharaoh and his army, so they no longer pursue them. And finally, they've made it. They're on the banks of the Jordan River. 
Moses has done what's been expected of him. And they're about to step in and claim this land that has been promised to them for 500 years. And at this point, all this hoo-ha breaks loose. And they are now sent to go around and around and around in the desert. For how long? 40 years. 40 wasted years. You know, I've no doubt for each one of these days, of these 40 years, Moses must have gone, if only. You know, if only things had been different. If only I'd sent a different ten. If only they had had more faith. If only every single day. I mean, where would we be now? <laughs> we could have our feet up. We would be enjoying this land that, that God has gifted us. But where am I? I'm leading a nation of whinging, complaining people for 40 years. I mean, when we start to understand that, we can start to see why Moses is a bit sensitive in this communication that's taking place. You see that? I mean, think about it from your point of view. I want you to imagine that today something happens to you through no fault of your own that causes you to get stuck in life for the next 40 years. So, I mean, think about how old you are now and add 40 years to that. And those stuck years, 40 years from now on, are stuck, wasted years. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your desire to fulfill your calling for, for the Lord, all of that comes to nothing. Now that in and of itself would be hard enough, wouldn't it? But then imagine 40 years from now, so think about how old you are and add 40 years. 40 years from now, you're just about to get your life back. You're just about to get on with your life, carry on with what God has called you to. And it looks like someone is about to do something that's going to send you back for another 40 wasted years. I mean, as if you could live that long. I mean, when you start to get this, we understand why Moses is a bit sensitive at this point, don't we? We start to understand why Moses reacts the way he does, the, way, the reason why he overreacts the way he does. Because Moses isn't looking at the situation in the now as it is. Moses is looking at their request through the lens of all that he has come through, through his experience, his trauma, this pain in his life. And when he sees this, he thinks to himself, I can't do this. I haven't got another 40 years in me. This is too much. And so he reacts and he overreacts. Now let me ask you, how many people here have ever overreacted? Okay, so there's a few of us and the rest of you are lying, but that's okay. <laughs> and you see, the reason, the primary reason why we've overreacted at times isn't because of what's actually taking place in front of us. It has a whole lot to do with what we've experienced in our past, the wounds of the past, the trauma of the past, whether we're conscious of it or not, and we are looking at that situation through that lens, which is why we overreact at times. And this is one thing that's just so important for us to get, that why are we reacting and overreacting the way we are? It isn't primarily about what's going on externally. 
It's primarily about what's going on internally. That we need to recognize that, that these reactions that build up in us say more about what's happening in us than outside of us. Do you see that? See, also, let me ask you, how many people here have ever been on the receiving end of someone else overreacting? Yeah. I mean, this is pretty common, isn't it? We're on the receiving end of someone else overreacting them, yelling or swearing at us or calling us names or, or maybe shutting off and being very cold towards us. I mean, this is part of our human experience. But let me ask you, what would you say being on the receiving end of someone else overreacting, being on the receiving end of that kind of conflict, what are some common human responses to that? I mean, just call it out where you are. What would you say would be a common human response being on the receiving end of someone else overreacting? Nothing. You might overreact back. What else? You might get angry. What else? You get defensive. What else? Shut down, what was over here? Withdraw, Withdraw. absolutely. What else? Sulk? Yeah, sulk's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> I'll teach them. I'm just going to sulk here. They'll see how unhappy I am, and that will make them unhappy. What else? What's that? Yeah, we just get offended. What else? Eat something. Eat something. <laughs> now you're talking. You see, what I've found is that when we are on the receiving end of this kind of conflict, there are two very human responses that we might make. The first tendency is that we will avoid. You know, we will step back from the other person, physically or emotionally. We will want to distance ourselves from, from what's taking place because it just feels too scary, too hard. So we want to remove ourselves from what's taking place. But the second tendency that we have as humans is we will step up. You know, you want to try and take me on? Well, come and try it. I'll meet you halfway here. Let's see how we get on. We're not going to bed like this. We're going to sort this out right now. <laughs> so those are our two very human responses. One is avoidance and one is aggression. Now, since we have a cross-section of humanity here, let me see what camp you fall into. So how many people would say, just by a raise of hands, that, that your tendency when it comes to conflict and, and being in the face of someone else overreacting, you are the avoiders. You like to step away. Yep, there's a good number of you here. But let's just check on this. How many people would say, you know, when it comes to conflict, if someone wants to try to take me out, we need to sort this out. Who are the sorter-outers? That's great, yeah. You know, I feel like I want to get both types and just put you in a room together and see what happens. <laughs> and if you're, you're sitting here with your arms folded saying, I'm not going to play your silly game, guess what? You're a wonderful combination of both. It's called being passive aggressive. <laughs> but whether your tendency is avoidance or it's aggression, both of those responses have one thing in common. Neither of them help. But you know, the funny thing is that we'll keep reaching for it because we think it does help. You know, avoidance doesn't help. 
that, that, that at times it's understandable why we would avoid because, you know, we don't want to inflame the situation. We don't want to make things get worse. So we're going to avoid. We're going to pull away because we want peace, people will say. But peace at any price comes at a very high price. And I'll have people who will say, you know, you know I, just, I just value peace. I've got harmony on my, my strength finder. I don't know if there's any here on that one. You know, I, I just, I just, I'm a peacemaker, they'll say. And I'll say to them, you don't actually value peace. And they'll say, yes, I do. I say, no, you value the absence of overt conflict. Because oftentimes to get peace, we've got to go through conflict so that we're now of one heart and one mind. And you will avoid conflict because it feels dangerous, it feels scary, probably because it was modeled to you badly. That we will want to avoid it because it feels dangerous, but generally speaking, the kind of, of, of conflict that we are a part of in our society isn't dangerous like it feels. It's just the disagreement of ideas. And so in that, it isn't it's dangerous that we need to avoid it because when we start avoiding it, what we don't realize is we become dishonest. We stop speaking the truth in love. We just start pretending with people. So avoidance doesn't help. But equally, neither does aggression. Because when we're in that place when we're going to get aggressive, what we're doing is we reach for anger in this point. We reach for anger to give us a sense of power to deal with what's going on. The funny thing is, when you're angry, you're generally at your most insecure. I mean, think about it. Why would you need to get angry? Usually it's because something feels like it's threatened you. And you know, when I say to people, so, so, when you think about your anger and you think about your aggression, tell me, how does it help the relationship? How does it draw people closer? And when they'll look at it, they'll realize, they'll go, well, it doesn't. I asked one person, I said, so tell me, with your anger, with your aggression right now, tell me, how does this help your relationship? How, how does it pull a person closer? To which they responded, well, it certainly gets things done. I said, I'm sure it does. But how does it help the relationship? Oh, yeah, I guess it doesn't. And you see, we will get aggressive because we, we want to pull the other person closer. We want them to stop that kind of behavior and come close. We want to repair what's going on so that we're back in a good place again. But of course, anger never draws anyone closer. It only ever pushes people away. I mean, think about it. Who wants to get close to an angry woman? <laughs> Who wants to get close to an angry man? We don't. Anger never draws a person closer. It only ever pushes them away. So if avoidance doesn't help and aggression doesn't help, then, then how do we respond to this kind of conflict? Well, you see, we see the answer to this in verse 16 of our passage where it says that the Reubenites and the Gadites, they moved closer to Moses. You see, and in many ways, this is it in a nutshell. They moved closer to Moses. They addressed the issue, speaking the truth in love. That's it. That's it in a nutshell, my friends. That they don't avoid 
Moses. They don't get aggressive with Moses. They move closer to the man. You see, in this, what they are doing is they put aside the offensive way that he's speaking. They put aside his overreaction and they speak to him. And basically what they're saying here is, Moses, despite the poor way you're treating us, despite the poor way you're speaking to us, what's of utmost importance to us is our relationship with you. We value our relationship with you. So we want to honor this relationship and we want to honor you. And so as such, we will move close to you. We will address the issue and we'll do it by speaking the truth in love. Now, can you imagine if the Reubenites and the Gadites had some sort of trauma from their own past, some sort of bad experience. Maybe maybe imagine they had been treated poorly and misunderstood and misjudged in the past. Uh, Maybe they had been mistreated by some other authority figure. If that had happened to them, can you imagine what would take place between Moses and them? But you see, here's the thing. They probably did. They just didn't bring that baggage to this relationship. They let it lay back in where it was. And their focus wasn't on the offense. Their focus was on the relationship. And so as a result of that, they addressed the issue, speaking the truth in love. You see, my friends, when we don't do this practice, what happens is that elephants grow in our relationships. I mean, you've heard that saying before, you know, there's an elephant in the room and no one's talking about it. That when we fail to appropriately address what's between me and you, all that happens is there's this elephant that emerges in our relationship. And then what takes place is any other time there's an offense or a hurt or a misunderstanding or a misjudging, Well, we just take all of that and we load it into this elephant so this beast just gets bigger and bigger. And it's hard to have a close relationship, a healthy relationship, an intimate relationship when you've got the backside of this beast in your face. (laughs) Then what we are called to do is address these elephants, moving closer to the person, addressing the issue and speaking the truth in love. And you see, this is what we see that Jesus teaches us also further on. See, if I take you further to to Matthew 18, and we're going to read the passage there. What we read is, it says in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 16, you know, if, if someone sins against you, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. Now, if we pause there, I mean, that, that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Makes perfect sense. You know, if you've got an issue with someone, well, go. Go to them, talk to them, and resolve it. But what I'll find is that we will end up talking to everybody else, anybody else, except the person we've actually got the issue with. And all the while, we'll be telling ourselves, well, you see, you know, I I can't go to them because they're not going to listen. It won't matter. It won't help. It won't make any difference. Well, the Bible thought of that one too. (laughs) And what we read, it carries on to say, if the other person listens to you, you have won the other person back. But if you are unsuccessful, Take one or two others with you and go back again so everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. 
So in other words, if at first you don't succeed in resolving this relationship, find a trusted other who can help you resolve the situation. Because there is a kind of determination, a perseverance that Jesus is asking us to be a part of. Why? Because the relationship is of deep importance to him. The way we treat one another matters to him. Now, if the other person still won't come to the party, they still won't listen, they still won't engage, well, the passage goes on to say, at that point, treat them like tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) And how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? With love and with openness. So there may come a time where you go, we can't continue walking together because there's something that you are unwilling to face. But I want you to know that my door is always open, that my heart is for you. And when you're ready to come, then let me know. But if we're going to do that, the other person knows two things. The other person knows what the issue actually is between us. And secondly, they know what would be required in order to put it right between us. Because I'll find people will say to me, mate, that person's just cut me out of their life and I have no idea what went on. So one of the things we see in Matthew 18 is Jesus is saying, if you've got an issue, move closer to the person, address the issue, speaking the truth in love. But we also see Jesus talk to us about conflict in Matthew 5. And here we read, So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to the other person and then come and offer your gift. And what it's saying here is that when you're on your way to a worship service, when you're on your way to do ministry, when you're on your way to live life as a worship, as an act of worship to our God, if at any point you remember that someone has an issue with you, Well, leave everything and go sort it out. Why? Because the relationship is of utmost importance to Jesus. The way we treat one another is of utmost importance to him. We've got to sort this out. But you know what I love in this? Is that if we follow Matthew 18, let me ask you, if you have an issue with someone else, whose responsibility is it to go sort it out? It's yours. But if we follow Matthew 5 and you know that someone else has an issue with you, now whose responsibility is it to go sort it out? It's still yours. It doesn't matter who's got the issue. You're the one responsible to go sort it out. Why? Because the relationship is of utmost importance to Jesus. The way we treat one another, it matters to Him. So it doesn't matter if you've got the issue or the other person's got the issue. He places responsibility with you. Now we're going to tease this out a whole lot more this evening. But you see, what I want you to get is how counter-cultural Jesus is. I mean, because what's our human nature here? You know, if someone's wounded us, we're offended by what they've done. Well, if they really cared, they would notice. If they really cared, they would come and make up with me. And I'm ready. Anytime they want to come and have that conversation. Or if we hear someone's wounded or someone's offended with us, we go, well, that's their problem. If they've got a problem with me, they need to put on their big kid pants and come and talk to me. I'm not going to go chase them. 
And yet what Jesus says is it doesn't matter who has the issue. You are responsible to begin to sort this out. You see, my friends, if we follow the way the world tells us to deal with relationships, we just have fragmented relationships, broken relationships all over the place. But if we follow what Jesus teaches us, what we find is that more and more relationships get restored. And you see, if we don't do this, what happens is that it starts to poison us personally. It starts to poison us relationally. And it starts to poison us corporately. But if we practice what Jesus is doing, what I love about this is it doesn't matter if the enemy comes to create division by creating conflict, because if we follow what Jesus tells us to do, it only makes us stronger. And so, my friends, we move closer to the person, we address the issue, and we speak the truth in love. Now, there's one other passage that talks to us here, that's useful. And that's actually in 1 Peter 4.8, where we read, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, what that is saying there is, you know what, there are some times that if you've hurt me, if you've uh, wounded me, if, uh, if you've caused offense with me, because of my love for you, I can genuinely let this go. There is no wound that I'm holding on to. That because of the love that I have, that when I think about what you did or the offense that was caused, I can genuinely flush this with love. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to use this passage to pretend where we take all the hurt and all the pain and we suck it up inside and we just say, I'm holding on to it in love. We only use this passage if we can genuinely let go of the issue so that there is no elephant in the relationship. So my friends, if we want to follow what God is asking of us, to have healthier relationships, to navigate conflict, to navigate it well, it's not easy. But we move closer to the person. We address the issue, speaking the truth, and love. We grow stronger internally. We we grow stronger relationally. We grow stronger corporately. Are you with me? My friends, can we just stand together? Can I get the, the worship team back, please? And just where you are, I just want you to center on the Lord where you are right now. He might be putting his finger on some relationship that that you need to address. There might be a courageous conversation that he wants you to have. Or maybe there's a pattern in conflict that needs repairing that has just been your habit for as long as you've known. Just center on him. 